This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2017, held at Faith Builders on August 1 through 4. I was at a conference last fall where the speaker played a video clip from people all over the world singing in different languages. And it really impressed and encouraged me to see how we're part of a, a global kingdom and a great work of people singing hallelujah in different languages. Uh, maybe you can look that up on YouTube. I decided not to play a video clip, uh, partly because I didn't want FB to get into a political fiasco over uh, drums or something, but mostly because if I'm teaching about collaboration, we should do some collaboration. One of the most powerful forms of collaboration that we have in our schools and churches is singing. So I'd like you to help me sing a verse, but before we do that, we will sing uh, Thou Art Worthy. Think of these uh, verses from Revelations and meditate on them from Revelation 7. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Notice, of all nations, I have highlighted there. That's the big picture. Not just your student, but students, but all nations someday before the throne. And it's encouraging to know that there are other teachers all around the world um, engaged in this work of raising students to be there someday before the throne as part of all nations. Let's sing with me a verse of Thou art worthy, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and Kingdom vision is always big picture, getting at the heart of the matter, taking action, tell all nations, plant the seed in your classroom. One thing we notice about this picture is we'll never get there without many people. Heaven is most probably not individual hotel suites. Heaven is a celebration of the web of relationships we have created with God at the center. You are part of something bigger than yourself. The culmination is yet to come. 
Consider Ubuntu, which is African for I am because you are or because we are. An anthropologist proposed a game to children of an African tribe. He put a basket of fruit near a tree and then lined the kids up back here and told them the first one to reach the fruit would win it all. So when he told them to run, they took each other's hands and ran together and then sat down together enjoying the fruit. When asked why they ran like that, as one could have had all the fruit, they said, Ubuntu, how can one of us be happy if the others are sad? So Ubuntu is a philosophy of African tribes that can be summed up as, I am because we are. Desmond Tutu says, it is the essence of being human. It speaks of the fact that my humanity is caught up and is inextricably bound in yours. I am human because I belong. Nelson Mandela said, in Africa, there is a concept known as Ubuntu, the profound sense that we are human only through the humanity of others, and that if we are to accomplish anything in this world, it will be in equal measure due to the work and achievement of others. And Desmond Tutu again said, you can't be human all by yourself. And when you have this quality of Ubuntu, you are known for your generosity. We think of ourselves far too frequently as just individuals separated from one another, whereas you are connected and what you do affects the whole world. So you're not just little islands in your classroom. Teachers are architects of the future. You are teaching the future church. Your chisel mark will be left on the living stones of your students for good or bad. Here's a visual. Um, that I got from Google Images in case you want to search for it more. It basically shows a difference between our Western society in which we tend to view people as machines. So you're one of those wheels down there. And you know, if one of those wheels breaks and stops working, well, you just replace it with another one. We're just cogs in a wheel. So it's implied but rarely stated that uh, people are dispensable. If someone's not doing their job well in a, a business, you just replace them. Whereas Ubuntu, and not that it's Christian, but it's more similar to the kingdom value. Okay, people act as a natural organism, it says there in the middle of that uh, insect, possibly. And so if, you're, if one of the arms or legs is missing, we feel that. In Corinthians, we read about being members of the body, and when one suffers, we all suffer. We're tied together. As Jesus taught in the Good Samaritan parable, the essence of love is that we'll never let anyone behind. Incidentally, uh, that sounds like the Marines too, so uh, let's not be beat by them either. Love conquers all. So while we're talking about collaboration, let's have a definition. The action of working with someone to produce or create something. Isn't that what you're trying to do in your classrooms? You're working with your students and your co-teachers to produce or create something. We learned education is a process. So teamwork. A team of about 35 employees had come together for a team building event. They were young, bright, enthusiastic, but they had some problems. 
they wouldn't share information or solutions with each other. The leader felt they were too focused on self and not on team. So she started off with a fun team activity to teach them to work together. She brought the team into the cafeteria and took out all the chairs and tables. And when they came in, there were hundreds of balloons in the cafeteria and other decorations. And she gave each of them a balloon that they had to blow up and then write their name on the balloon without popping it or they would be disqualified. So notice there were hundreds of different balloons plus the balloons with their name on them. Everyone was excited, not sure what it was all about. So then she had them go out of the room and probably mixed them up and then they came back in and they were told, find the balloon with your name on it among the hundreds of balloons on the floor without popping any or you'll be disqualified. For 15 minutes they searched and not one single person found the balloon with their name on it. So she sent them out of the room again and then brought them back in and told the team members to find any balloon in the room with a name on it and give it to the person whose name was on it. And within a couple minutes, every member of the team had their balloon with their own name on it. And she made the following point. We are much more efficient when we are willing to share with each other. And we are better problem solvers when we work together, not individually. So exponential difference in the time of trying to work on your own, failing, working together, and it was done quickly. Here's a picture of whitewater rafting last spring. Uh, yours truly is in the back center there in the beard that you can hardly see with the highest helmet there. And my wife is to the left in the center. We were with some students. Our guide, Rodney, told us to paddle and that when he said it, he meant it. And it was very important. After we went through one particular challenging rapid, after we went through, he told us about another group that just wouldn't paddle for him. They went through the rapid and they weren't paddling. And they went down and then they came up and went over backwards and all fell out. And he fished them all out and they said, what happened? And he said, you wouldn't paddle. So paddling together was crucial to get through the rapids. Here's another African proverb. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Let's go on together. So collaboration, again, if we want to graduate collaborative students and want them to be educated for the kingdom, and that is we've been learning to have hearts of compassion, creative minds, and take the action of knowing how to work together and get along in our churches. How do we get there? You know, isn't that a great vision for the church? Every Anabaptist church knows how to work together and get along, right? So, again, as teachers, we need to start by having attitudes of collaboration and then taking action in the classroom to work together. So hopefully I've inspired your hearts to be collaborative. Now let's look at examples of collaboration. And we'll be following the same format here that we're following each day. How did Jesus teach with collaboration? How do others teach with collaboration? 
and how can I teach with collaboration? So first of all, how did Jesus teach with collaboration? He had 12 disciples. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, Jesus didn't show up and try to change and heal the whole world by himself. We sing he could have called 10,000 angels. I suppose he could have also snapped his fingers and had all the blind and lepers healed. But he set an example and started a movement. Twelve disciples built a church. So here's an illustration that maybe that I'm going to use with you, that maybe you can use with your students to illustrate how God depends on us to spread the gospel. Not sure how many of you there are, but I think we have enough candy. So I have uh, two bags of candy here, and my wife is going to be helpful and get this started and hand one out on this side and one out on that side. I don't know if you like jelly beans or not, but your students probably do. And if you all collaborate by the end of this session, you can all have a jelly bean. I'm pretty sure we made sure there are enough in there. So this is how the gospel is meant to be spread. God comes and hands his gift out. He picked 12 people and he said, you are responsible for spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. So go ahead. Maybe it's a devotions idea you could use or in Bible class sometime. So again, collaboration, 12 disciples, learning how to work together and build the church through just a few people. Jesus also sent out the 12 in Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, so perhaps they weren't all always together every day, 24-7, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no backpack or bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, no cell phone. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. So Jesus gave them a test. He sent them out to practice while he was still here. And they probably didn't know the significance of that. They probably didn't realize, you know, someday he's going to be gone and we're going to be doing this. Uh, in the moment. It didn't seem like they always knew the significance of what he was doing and didn't always believe the things he said about him going away, for instance. So your students probably don't always know the significance of why are we in school and how much they will be thankful for what you taught them when they get out of school. But it's still a time to give them a test and have them work together. He sent them out by twos it's been suggested that in Matthew 10, with the way the disciples are listed, that perhaps these were the pairs that they were sent out two by two, Simon and Andrew, Thomas and Matthew, James and John, James and Thaddeus, Philip and Andrew, and so on. So he divided them up into teams, small groups, and sent them out and said, practice. I've taught you the gospel now. Go out and practice it. Washing feet. This is something Jesus did for his disciples, something we still do together. 
and usually not just to get the feet washed either, right? Some of us might even wash ahead of time. But to say more powerfully than we could in words that we are committed to loving each other. The real test then is in our pocketbooks to uh, help each other uh, along the road like the Good Samaritan. Messiah College offers a towel of service with every diploma they hand out. I think that's a nice picture of what education should be about. You're getting your diploma and you also get this little, uh, they're a brethren college, you also get this little towel of service that represents, yes, you had power in the diploma, but what are you going to do with that? We hope you use your education to serve the world, not to lord it over the world. So it was Jesus' way of teaching that we need each other and none of you is the greatest unless you're a servant. In the garden, Jesus needed the disciples to help him watch and pray. As a human, he couldn't do it alone. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Think of Peter getting out of prison. In our church, various people have been cured of cancer to the extent that the doctors were surprised and said it was never possible. This is a major cooperative work of the church that Jesus taught by example. The Lord's Prayer, after this manner pray ye. Sometimes we pray that together. Very powerful. So moving on to how do others teach with collaboration. Note, studies show students and lecturers are not attentive about 40% of the time. Students may retain 70% in the first 10 minutes, but only 20% in the last 10 minutes. So first of all, a story from dictation to cooperation. Dr. Theodore Penitz told Education World, I used to be a very good lecturer. I was well organized. I established today's class goals, provided an overview, and then led the class through a series of problems and questions. He had a doctorate. He even incorporated humor, which uh, helped students enjoy his classes. He got high marks on student evaluations. His courses filled up quickly, and feedback from students was very positive. The approach seemed to work well. Until test time arrived. The students did not do well, and as well as they thought they should. When they discussed this as a group, The students felt they had understood the material in class, but when they went home and tried to solve the problems on their own, the material looked like Greek. Looking back at the research, I'm not surprised, stated Panitz. I was doing doing all the critical thinking and explaining the concepts, strengthening my own brain synapses, not the students. The realization that his teaching technique reinforced his own knowledge but did not build his students' understanding, caused Panitz to seek another method. He started a doctoral program at Boston University and was introduced to the benefits of cooperative learning. By definition, knowledge is discovered by the students. Learning consists of active participation by the student versus passive acceptance of information presented by an expert lecturer. Learning comes about through people working together in groups. Panitz has three favorite cooperative learning activities he uses regularly. Pair reading, pairs of students work together on the exercise, reading what was assigned and then discussing it. Uh, Math Olympics where they answer questions and factoring jigsaw. 
but I don't have time to go into uh, explaining those. You can look up more like that. We'll get to some of them on the next slide, some of those activities. I just want to read his testimony here. Now, let me say that there is a place for lecture, and the students do need to be told what to work on. So when we're going to cooperative learning, uh, we're not saying, hey, go learn what you want. It's a tool in your toolbox, okay? to collaborate together, to learn together, rather than the teacher telling. It's more powerful than the teacher telling everything to have the student discover some things on their own. But some things do need to be told. Another story, student feedback. The teacher came up with a rubric, and they all agreed that allowing others to score their work was really hard to do. But they rough drafted and typed and printed off reports. And on the big scoring day, each student read and scored the other student's work. To the teacher's surprise, the students worked hard and thoughtfully during the process. They also signed the bottom of the paper. When the scored papers were handed back, total silence reigned while each student read the comments. Very few went back to seats. Most stopped in place, intently reading the rubric and comments. The teacher waited for pandemonium, but it never came. Most were satisfied that the comments were accurate. No one was given a grade, just the opportunity to fix anything that needed fixing. The kids loved it. They got lots and lots of comments, good ideas from seeing other people's work, and a better idea of how they stacked up compared to others, and two days to redo it before the teacher scored it. So there's an idea for you allow, whether it's a reading assignment or some things like that, allow students to give feedback to each other, not necessarily for a final grade, but for working together so that it's not always the teacher giving the feedback. Peer pressure is very powerful. Another, um, some other examples, students speak out. I'm just going to read some examples or some statements from students uh, speaking out on the benefits of collaborative learning. Some students say, you can usually get a lot more done in a shorter amount of time. Working in a group allows for people to think as one and help others become unstuck. Problem solving becomes easier when people work together. Another student says, each member of the group has something unique that he or she can contribute. When it comes to solving a problem, the other group members may be able to think of things that one individual couldn't on his own. Another student says, I am able to learn more and truly understand better. I will learn the material even better if I can explain it to someone else. Sometimes if you're working in groups, they have a chance to explain it to their classmates. Students can relate to one another more easily than to the teacher for that feedback. It makes the assignment or project more fun. Years from now, when you're put in the same situation at work, you might not find yourself blowing your lid like many of your inexperienced coworkers will because you had practice in school, working in groups, working together, getting along, and bumping heads. It provides a more real-life work scenario. And that's one of the key things that employers are looking for in 21st century business nowadays, employees that know how to get along and can put their heads together. So. Most of these testimonies are from older students or even college students, so some of you elementary teachers might feel a little out of the loop for some of the strategies that we're gonna be going through here, but think harder. Most of them can be adapted in some way. Also, 
just this idea of collaboration. Collaboration with other teachers is very important, is key to good instruction, but uh, that's beyond the scope of this session to address collaboration among teachers. But share ideas with other teachers. So how can I teach with collaboration? First of all, graphic organizers. So if you have some space on your uh, notes or some paper in your book, go ahead and draw this graphic organizer in there, okay? One big circle, and we're gonna do uh, an activity here together. So in that big circle, write teachers, because that's all something you all share. And then put four circles out around, or it could be however many circles are in your group. And flowers have different amounts of petals. And then you can put some uh, nice little stalks down there at the bottom if you want that are uh, flowery but non-essential. Now, <clears throat> although it's good for those of you that are visual, um, what this is designed to do is to have, it's just a way to present information, a main detail in the center, and then supporting details in the outer petals of the flower. So this could be done together, especially as elementary teachers, you're gonna do more um, with the students and having them do this, but they're old enough to write for themselves, as I assume you are. Uh, you can do this together in groups. So since I have four on here, divide yourselves up into groups of about four, but it could be three, five, uh, just a couple people that you're sitting with in your row, and come up with something unique to each share something unique to write in one of these petals. We know you're all teachers and you're all at Teachers Week, okay? Come up with something unique and make it as different as you can, okay? So if you drive a VW Bug or, you know, from the 1970s or if you flew to the moon one time, try to think of the most crazy thing here that will make you unique from not only the people in your group but anybody else in the audience, okay? and we'll just do this little activity. So divide yourselves up into small groups. You have teachers in the center. Each of you share something unique about yourself that is different than anyone else in your group and fill that in around the petals for however many people are in your group. Go. Okay, that's probably not enough time, but we'll move on. The buzz of your students when they're engaged in something you assign them to do is rewarding. Uh, even if you didn't get the whole way around, let's hear uh, three of the most unusual things. Anyone, just uh, from any group, speak up. Speaks Chinese. Speaks Chinese? Okay, very good. Roast coffee. You roast coffee? Okay, <laughs> roast, roast coffee. And one more. Louder? Class pet is a python. Okay, very good. I think. Okay. <laughs> All right, another graphic organizer is the Venn diagram. Some of you might be familiar with this. So again, uh, elementary teachers, you might be doing this more together as your class. And here's an example of one filled in, okay? So it's, you don't have to try to fill this in in your notes. You can just uh, write that down to remember what a Venn diagram is. The center is things that are shared by the overlapping circles or subjects, and then either side is specific. So here we're comparing whales and fish. They both live in the water, have fins, can swim, and then they have unique things on either side. 
So at the elementary level, you could be doing this on the board and you could be having them call out what do you know about fish where do, uh, and whales and where do they live. Um, and then at older levels, you could divide them up into small groups and have them compare. And you can even add a third circle um, to compare three things and have that overlap in the center. So then diagrams. So far, we have graphic organizers. Another idea is think, pair, share. Or you can make it more complicated. Listen, think, write, pair, share. But we'll just talk about think, pair, share. Students listen while the teacher poses a question. So then they are given time to think. So there's a question. Think about it on your own, quietly. Here's my question for you. Why should teachers use think, pair, share? So think about that. And then you're going to pair up with someone next to you and you're each going to share. This is why teachers should use think, pair, share. This is why I think teachers should use think, pair, share. And then if you have time, you can have your class, you can take um, examples from the class. So again, the question is, why should teachers use think, pair, share? Okay, pair up with someone beside you, and if it doesn't work perfectly, you can do threes. Share. Go ahead. Okay, let's hear a couple selections, just two or three. Um, what did you, either you, if it's easier, share something somebody else said. Uh, what did you hear or what did you share about why teachers should use think, pair, share? Anyone? Allows for teacher assessment. Okay, allows for teacher assessment. Whether the student got it or not. So you're not just droning on and on and Johnny might be looking out the window at the flying birds and you don't know whether he got it gives you a chance for immediate feedback. Were they paying attention? Did they get this? Good. Anyone else? Very good. Quieter students might share one-on-one -on -one that they wouldn't speak up in front of the class. Good. Anyone else? Okay, very good. Let's move on. Pairs check. This is especially good for skill-based learning. This is when you teach a skill and then two students practice a skill giving each other feedback. They both practice it, doesn't matter who does it first. Uh, this is good, for example, how to tie a bandage. So in health class, you're practicing 
uh, tying a splint or you know, how can we wrap a bandage on. You teach it, demonstrate it in front of the class. This is how you tie a bandage or if you need someone to tie it on, you bring Johnny up front, you tie it on him and say this is what you're going to do and then they're going to do it on you. And so it, again, it allows, like we just said, the quieter student, the student who wouldn't be quite sure, they don't have to do it in front of the whole class, just with their friend or someone that you assign. You might have to assign the partners. Uh, you're going to work together, work together, work together. And they, and your odd number out can be in a group of three, they get a chance to practice a skill, and if they're not quite sure, maybe the other person remembers, and maybe you as a teacher know who to pair up so that they will have success in their group. And if they're not sure, they can ask you. And you're also circulating through, okay? And you may, oh, try, try it this way, a little bit tighter, that would be good. Um, I've seen this done in classes I've been in. For example, teaching first aid or CPR um, in my fire training, that's, that's a very common practice. For This is the skill. Now, you practice it in groups, and the instructor doesn't have time to, to come around one-on-one -on -one and test everybody. So he's depending on you to practice it. Do you feel good about it? Okay, you need more practice. If these students are done earlier, you know, they're always those, we're done. And these over here, well, I'm not sure. So just have them do it again. Or, well, how about these people didn't get it successfully, you go over and help them. So, um, there are many places it could be applied, but it's especially good for skills like that that they need to practice. <clears throat> Pairs check. And effective collaborative strategies excite the participants. They tend to get excited about it. When they're doing it on their own, class is more exciting than the teacher just demonstrating, this is how you would tie a bandage. The class is more hands-on. Round table, round robin. These are similar. Uh, so round table first, you assign a topic. So it could be list, and it's usually a list, list 10 U.S. presidents. You divide into equal sized teams, depending how big your class is. Could be two groups, it could be four groups of four, whatever you have and feels right for you. You divide them into the groups, decide who the group should be. You give them the topic, and you time it. This is a timed activity. So I am going to give you one minute to name 10 U.S. presidents in any order. And then you say go. So they have a paper. A round table means the person who's starting can't start until you start the timer. And then they're going to put George Washington down. And then the next person's going to put who down? Okay, maybe. Or Abraham Lincoln, right? Because nobody remembers John Adams. So it doesn't have to be in order. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he's probably next to me. Or, you know, Donald Trump, you know. So that's fine. It can be any order. So 10 U.S. presidents, I write one down, pass it to you. Um, somebody put, um, uh, who'd they put in there? Some other famous, you know, Eli Whitney. Because we studied about him recently, and I remember that. So they put Eli Whitney in. You get it. Oh, boy. We're going to be disqualified. So you cross that out and you replace it with somebody you know was actually a president and that takes up your turn. And you pass the paper on and you go around until you've gotten 10. When you've gotten 10 and you're pretty sure they all qualify, your team stands and hopefully you won and stood up before any of the other teams. If you don't get done in the time, you're, uh, you didn't qualify. So it could be lists of uh, US capitals, presidents of the United States. Facts about insects that we were just studying. Name 10 facts. Go. 
they're racing each other. Round robin is similar. There are different variations in one variation you are speaking and not writing your answers. Another variation, instead of everybody writing, you just have one recorder and the other people are yelling out the answers to see how fast you can get 10 filled in before they stand up. So this is inciting the students to work together and be more excited. Lineups. In lineups, you state the pools and give the directions so you have opposite extremes. Now, first of all, I'll say, again, this works best with opposite sides of an issue. So this might be better for older students, but you could do it uh, with younger students as well for what is the right answer to this uh, math fact. One is over here, 100 is over here. Place yourself on the line, line yourself up where you think the correct answer is. So there could be adaptions for elementary. But I'll emphasize opposite poles. So you might say uh, some opposite things. Like, should school be required? <clears throat> Those who think schooling should be required stand over here at this end of the classroom. Those who think schooling should not be required stand over at that end. You might have them all at one end. Well. Um, or learn a foreign language. Should students have to learn a foreign language in school? Those who think you should, stand at this end, and you demonstrate as a teacher, you're gonna stand here if you think this, you're gonna stand over here if you think this. So it could be some uh, issue that you're studying that has a lot of potential for debate. And then it lends itself to lead into writing as well if you bend the line and have the extremes come around and meet. So, I really think this, he really thinks that, thinks that. We bend the line around the U. I'm faced across, uh, across from someone who doesn't agree to me. And we share and debate personally, one-on-one, -on -one, why you're wrong, I'm right. And you require them to have a little journal there, and they're writing down their reasons why they think this is right, and the reasons he thinks it's right. And then you can assign them to go put that into an essay. Um, a lot of times that can get them excited about writing an essay because a lot of times if you just say, go write the essay uh, about why this is right, eh, I don't know, okay, I don't feel like writing this. But if they were actually one-on-one -on -one with someone and it got the juices flowing and I really want to prove Bill wrong, maybe I'll get more excited about writing my essay and I'm going to show it to him later and just prove him wrong once and for all. So, uh, again, you can look that up if you're interested in learning more about that. Rule play. Uh, I often do this like, as a news interview, just for one example. I mean, there are many ways to rule play, but one example that I use in history class is one person must be the character and the other person interviews the character, usually in groups of two or it could be small groups. And then they come up in front of the class, you give them a good old highlighter here or something for the microphone and they hold it up. Hello, so we have Thomas Jefferson with us today. You know, how are you doing, Mr. Jefferson? Yeah, pretty good, I feel pretty old, but you know, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> All the students laugh, so listen. So Jefferson, I understand that um, you were involved in writing the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, yeah, I was. It, boy, it a lot of late nights, but you know. And they, so you require them to do research together, okay? And the one person comes up with questions to ask, and the other person comes up with answers how Jefferson would answer. And you allow them to uh, put some creativity into it as well. 
And so the other students are learning then about Jefferson who wrote that and Madison who wrote the Constitution and this guy who wrote this over here. Um, they're learning from each other and you force them to do more of the learning than just telling them Jefferson wrote or helped write the Declaration of Independence. Three S's, stand up, speak up, sit down. You can sneak through the audience uh, this is especially good for review or reinforcement. So uh, what are we reviewing? We're reviewing um, what makes an insect an insect. So you snake through, you, ran, you don't know who's coming next, you randomly stand up, speak up, you know, insect has six legs, sit down. You, an insect, and you keep on going. And co a collaborative story. This is when you start a story and pass it around the classroom and you never know what's coming next. Okay, it gets very creative. One day, Bob went outside, past the stories. He saw a big goose. Gets to the boy, he shot the goose. Gets to the girl, you know, he took it to the hospital or whatever, gets very creative. <laughs> and don't underestimate discussion. Practice leading it and learning from others. Uh, even elementary students, you might say, you know, they're not old enough to discuss the uh, deeper points of life, but they're old enough that you can discuss something together, brainstorm uh, ways to be nice on the playground. Um, and they could even do that in small groups. You could pair first graders up and what do you do and what don't you do on the playground to be nice. So why are you here today? Isn't it for the energy or the synergy that comes from people working together in education? Enjoy your time together here at Teachers Week so much that when you go back to your classrooms, your students will enjoy their time together because of your enthusiasm. Learn from other teachers, collaborate. There's not one best single teaching strategy that is the best approach. Variety is important. Finally, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you to spread the gospel, work together, and inspire others on the team to do together more than what any single one of us could accomplish on his own little island. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.